I believe that my role is to be the sap inside of the matriarchal tree. And that it's your job <laughs> to be the fullest, roundest tree. And year after year after year, we will build rings. And year after year after year, we will become stronger. And we will nurture the mycelium network beneath the soil. And we will shelter those who need shelter underneath our branches. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the How for Her Human Expansion Realized podcast. These podcasts are the creative artistry inspired by our weekly Gather for Her conversations that take place in real time. They are the culmination of co-created and harvested wisdom that is palpable during these gatherings around our virtual fire. Our hope is that in a practice of deep listening with us here, you will feel our hands at your back in the journey of realizing your own personal expansion, leaving each listening experience with a spark that ignites your how. In today's episode, our hosts are sitting down with Maya Olmsted. A founding member of both Zebras Unite and Impact Arts Co-op, Maya is a data-driven storyteller who nurtures the twin joys of curiosity and courage. Together, she and our hosts chat about leveraging the power of co-creation as a changemaker. I'd like to give a big shout out to my stepmother, who is formative in my years, and big shout out to my high school biology teacher, who is also incredibly influential in my life. But one of the strongest relationships that I had that was with my mother-in-law, uh, God rest her soul. And she said very clearly along the way, you can't do everything in life. I'm sorry, you can do everything in life. You just can't do it at the same time. So I hoarded ideas and hoarded dreams and hoarded things that I wanted to work on until the time was right. Sort of like putting wishes in the jar. Um, and when I started working on it, I recognized the feeling that she had always said to the grandkids, which is do the thing that makes your toes twinkle in the mornings when you get up. And when my toes started to twinkle, I thought, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm an unusual person. And I think that I'm relatively strong in the skill of being able to build bridges. And uh, so I think that understanding that about myself um, has has helped me turn things that in the past might have been negative characteristics. And certainly they were things that I was really hard on myself about. And now I celebrate them and I use them to benefit other people um, and make the world a better place. So I think that, that the change making is about changing my own identity and then helping to be a part of helping others change their identity because the world is just chaotic right now and it's requiring all of us to sort of re-examine who we are and where we sit and what's important what we want to work on oh thank you for that Maya <laughs> <laughs> so not only do your tw toes twinkle you twinkle I had the privilege of meeting Maya a couple months ago in person and I'm like most people call me the energizer bunny and I'm like Oh no, I can't even hold a candle to, 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 to Maya. She really is the energizer bunny. And, and uh, um, I, I, I appreciate how you show up in the world. Uh, um, and and I, I want to go back to the using data to tell stories, right? Because that's um, stories are how we communicate mm -hmm. and data is how we build out the story for change making. So I want to hear more from you about um, how do you use data in terms of, and, and 
and in storytelling. It's so much a big part of my work in the world. And so I want I want to hear from you how you do that. Okay. Well, um, first off, I think we should all recognize that we are all data driven in all kinds of ways. We look at the temperature of the weather. Um, we look at whether it's going to rain or not. We teach our kids how to make cookies when they're toddlers. Um, we have shoe sizes and clothing sizes, and we live in a world where uh, measurements matter. And the measurements that we keep close to our heart are the, the data-driven measurements that matter to me when we're telling stories. So these are the measurements that say, I want to make sure that seven generations from now, somebody says, oh my God, I'm really glad she was my ancestor. So that means that in this time, if that's who I want to be seven generations from now, then I, I think, what actions do I need to take now so that my ancestors, my descendants later are proud? And we live right now in a data-driven world. And if I want to be the change maker in this world right now, to influence this space later on, then I have to work with what I've got. And I'm not an amazing mathematician. I am not an amazing artist. I am not an amazing storyteller, but I'm fairly good at all three. And when I combine them, then that allows me to take advantage of this energy. For me, data-driven storytelling is everything from understanding the data that's missing when we're trying to talk about people's experiences. It's about lifting up the voices that are critical if we really want to build a truly sustainable world. If we want to make sure that we're living in a world that is socially just, environmentally just, economically just, we have to look at the numbers. And that doesn't mean that we have to obsess about the numbers, but we do need to check on them every now and then. And I think it's more enjoyable to check on them through the arts. You know, I'm a, I love story as we know. And I, I want to call out uh, in a lovingly way. You said, I'm not an amazing storyteller and I'm not an amazing this and I'm not an amazing that. And I, I want to remind all of our listeners that storytelling as an oral tradition was never about performance. It was never about amazing. It was never about that. Um, and um and I, I say that for all of us. I get nervous as soon as my camera comes on. And yet story, just as Christina said, is the connective tissue of our relational understanding. Mm -hmm. And um, I would love to, I mean, I love the word amazing, but it sure would be great to ditch it sometimes. You know? <laughs> Jeepers. Um, and I, so I wanted to drop that in, but I wanted to also ask you, or I'm not even sure what the question is, Maya. Um, I, I love, and yet my brain fries when I try to understand um, the mix that you are, which is this science and art piece. And um, what came up for me when you were talking about data was in story, symbols are often the data. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even know where to go with this, but um, I really appreciate what you said about data that's missing. And um, I'm just going to open them and go, where does that take you? Maybe tell me more about data that's missing and yeah, and symbols, see what happens. Well, well um, how about if I give you a story from someone on my team? Is that okay? Because we like stories. So 
Uh, um, so I want to give a lot of credit to um, Sheila Patakin and uh, Natasha Moccasin. Um, they've really taught me a lot about uh, storytelling. And one day we were having a conversation and they also didn't understand this idea about data-driven storytelling. So I said, well, can you think of a time where somebody has asked you some questions and they've been writing the information down because what they were asking you would impact a decision that would be made. And so uh, the description of a powwow came up. Now, I don't come from a culture of powwow, but it was really fascinating to me and felt like a very privileged space for me to listen to the story. And what they were saying is that when you go into the powwow, the dancers are counted. You have to pre-register in order to have the dancers there to organize it. And then people who are serving refreshments or water or things like this, these are all uh, measured in some way a timed entrance a timed exit when are they going to need electricity things like that so i said all right well um i said uh why do, why do you think this is really important they said well um you know the powwows are getting bigger and as we are really revitalizing our culture then more people are coming and i said all right i said well then you've got a data-driven story and they, they didn't understand so i said uh well, I just want you to imagine that you are a grandmother, right? So just close your eyes and imagine that you are years in the future and you're old and you're wizened. And the most helpful thing you can do in the world is just to hold your great grandbaby. And so you just rock in your chair and you're just smelling the loveliness of a new baby and some of the other little children come around and they say, oh, that powwow is going to start. How I was going to start, and you say, Oh, you kids, you know, you just, you don't even know, you don't even know. Oh, my goodness gracious. I remember, I remember right at that time that COVID was coming along and the powwows, they were getting bigger, and oh, that they were getting bigger and more people were coming, and we just needed to find land we needed to reclaim our land to put some more space for dancing for joy for living and it was a good thing that those two women really taught us to think about how we needed to count and how we needed to measure to make sure just to make sure that we could celebrate the full glory of our people When you finish a story like that, you want to know, what did they count? What did they measure? Where did it go? What did they do with it? You're curious. Stories are soothing. Stories inspire behavioral change. Stories inspire motivation. Stories inspire curiosity and stories inspire courage. So the data is like the, at least how I'm receiving it, the data is the catalyst for the curiosity. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Maya. The data can be different too. Like Tina and I talked about this a couple of months ago that if we're moving into a net zero world, 
this means that we have a lot of responsibility to honor people who've spent a huge amount of their time doing really hard jobs. Coal mining is not an easy job. Working on an oil rig offshore is not an easy job. These working to lay pipes, these are not easy jobs. So if we're going to move into a new world with new jobs, then one of the things that we have to do is we have to take care of the people who've provided energy for us up to this point. And one of the ways we have to take care is that we've got to really help somebody understand that the job that they had, that they took such pride from, that was their identity, that it's changing and that their new identity is also something to be proud of. And it's not that we're saying this was a bad I, I identity or that we're ashamed. No, we're not. We're not at all. We're, but we recognize that we need to live in harmony with the land in a different way. And we need to be celebrating the opportunity that we have to still preserve the beauty that we, that we have and then to rebuild things that are even more beautiful, right? Plant more trees and create more uh, protected watersheds, these kinds of things. So I think that data also helps you to change your identity if it's presented through the arts, because the arts allow you to feel the loss of the old identity and they allow you to celebrate bringing on your new identity and they allow you to explore the full range of human emotions, hundreds of human emotions. That's what we need arts for, is to be able to be fully present, fully alive in our humanity. That was an amazing story, Maya. And um, um, you, something you had said um, earlier was um, it's important to check on the numbers. Um, but I think you do more than that. Uh, you do more than just check on the numbers. Those numbers mean a lot to you. And, um, and from, from what I know of you, um, the arts um, bring those um, numbers, uh, they, they, they give the numbers more meaning uh, to a, a, a larger uh, group of people. Uh, it's not just data, it is, um, it, I mean, it is data, but it, it, you know, when you say data, it's like, oh, it, it, people just like, they, their eyes roll and like, I don't wanna hear it, right? For a lot, a lot of people, unless they're data scientists or uh, that sort of uh, folk, but, um, one of the stories that you had mentioned um, um, to me earlier uh, is I'd love for you to just talk about that a little bit. And that is of um, how you see um, uh, data telling, uh, data storytelling um, for the 21st and 22nd century, uh, 21st century um, with AI and, and all that is possible. And, and I think you know the story that I'm referring to. Okay, awesome. I, I think so, but if I don't, you can certainly hear it. We now live in a world where um, public businesses and private businesses prepare annual reports. And uh, now they're starting to prepare these impact reports. And I don't know uh, how many people who are watching this call have actually looked at one of these 78 page <laughs> reports they have these beautiful graphs and just there you know the the design capabilities now are gorgeous but the information is still printed in the size 12 fonts 
<laughs> for 78 pages long. It's really not exactly the most interesting. And so frankly, most of us read the executive summary, which is usually two or three pages, and then we push it off to the side. So all this incredible work that's been done, especially if it's been done really well, where somebody's really gone out into the field and interviewed everyone, gets just kind of shoved in, uh, off to the side because people really only pay attention to the numbers, the financials. But there's so much more to measuring the impact than the financials. One of the things that we're looking at is exploring how we can use extended reality, which extended reality is everything from VR to augmented reality. It's, it's that whole range of these emerging technologies. And so one of the things that we've been really looking at is how do you um, help people walk in the shoes of other people. So recently, for an example, the staff attended um, a building an empathetic culture workshop with uh, zebras that was hosted in part by the emotions playground lab at Harvard that allowed everyone to, to actually go through simulations of what it was like to walk in the shoes of someone when they were experiencing racism or some sort of homophobia or some sort of um, issue that maybe you don't understand when you unless you've walked in those shoes, right? Another example is a woman in North Carolina who's been working um, with the Coded Bias team. And if you haven't seen that film, I tell anybody and everybody, it's on Netflix. I encourage you to watch it. It's called Coded Bias. But there's a team in North Carolina that actually has a VR headset and is helping people to understand, for an example, what it's like to be a young black boy and then what it's like to be a teenage black boy and then what it's like to be a black boy in college and then what it's like to be a young black man and then what it's like to be a black man 40 years into his career. And to yeah. actually live through that vignette of understanding how these tiny little what seemingly small microaggressions, how those can accumulate over the course of a lifetime and break you down. And then magnify that by lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And now you've got intergenerational trauma. Now, one of the things that I'm really focused on in the next couple of years is being able to work with young people between the ages of 16 and 30, the, what they call the digital natives, to understand how we might revitalize the art of oral storytelling, but combine it with some of the gamification and the use of video and the use of augmented reality. So that for an example, you've got this incredibly boring report, but then what happens if um, augmented reality, a little hologram of a elder pops up and explains to you why that graph is important? and whose lives will be changed or whose lives were changed as a result of those numbers that you're looking at, right? We now use QR codes on a regular basis. What if you could just scan that QR code and have the story come alive for you? What about if you're in a classroom? So for an example, um, it, there are numerous films now that are releasing educational packs with the films. And one of the things that you can do with the little teeny tiny Google Cardboard uh, headset, the little, uh, pseudo VR glasses that are like $15, I mean, super cheap, you can actually have the kids walk around in the classroom as though they're in an environment. So I've seen it done a lot around diving where kids can walk around and there's a shark in their classroom or there's a, a coral reef. And, you know, of course, depending on the age, they're all screaming out, Nemo! I've seen Nemo! <laughs> you know? Nemo. But, right? But they found him. <laughs> He's there in the classroom. So it's very, very exciting. 
But I think it's no less exciting for adults who we like to laugh, we like to play, and we like to, it, to hear someone tell us about their lived experience themselves, right? Nobody wants to hear some middle-aged white lady talking about their lived experience. They would much rather hear it from the person who lived through it because that person, it, number one, it's their right to tell their own story. Number two, they usually tell it better. <laughs> And number three, they're available for questions after the story. So it's only logical that you would want to make sure that these stories are being told by uh, people who've had those lived experiences, not the person who gathered the data and then collated the data and then put it into a fancy graph. That's not to say we don't need those graphs. It's just to say we really need the storytellers. So I always think of Christina as an energetic, like a, <laughs> and a systems, like somehow you two are like, I'd love to go for a walk with the two of you and be totally, <laughs> utterly confused. <laughs> Over to you, Christina. <laughs> well, my, my little brain's on fire right now, of course, because, so, um, and, and uh, so I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. I'll think out loud and then kind of toss it over to you, Maya, and see if you have any, um, I'd be curious to know where, where this takes you. But uh, you are so bang on when you talk about um, how organizations and, and, and government and the systems that, uh, that we operate in, how they, um, the, the, there's almost the worship of, of data put in long lengthy reports and, uh, and, and, and the failure to connect it to the stories and to the impact. So I work with a number of nonprofit organizations that are impacting people's lives and are, on a daily basis. So just like you, I'm, I'm you, you know, you were, you're doing that in your work and I'm working with these organizations and they have these reporting requirements, right? From their funders and the reporting requirements are about the numbers. And what I want to see is how do we connect the numbers to the stories and, and how can we create, um, the, how do we get the system, so, so the government, the funders, to actually to be curious about the stories? Because the impact isn't, oh, here's how many people that have viewed your video or, or come in your doors. It's actually how have their lives right. changed? How are their lives better? How are their lives different? And this is the change making. So even though government wants to fund change making projects, they don't know how to capture the data to tell the stories. And, and so what I'm curious about is how do we, how do we weave those things together to really start to share the impact of real change making on people's lives. And it's about building, like I loved what you talk about using, using our using scenarios to create visceral experiences that change um, people's lives. Oh, now I get it, right? My eyes are opened, now I see. And so I'm curious to where that, that takes you. Because um, I, like I said, I, I like the idea of pushing back on funders and going, here's the stories, you know? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I think fundamentally, you and I get along so well because we're both systems thinker, right? And so we are very focused around trying to break down silos. And I have found that the best way to break down silos in my life is just to ignore them. <laughs> Which usually, 
it's not, you know, I, I can't, I can't play by the rules over here. So I'm just going to go over here and make my own game <laughs> because this, this game is not working for me. Like I can't, I can't, you know, be as successful as charged up as happy as filled with joy as impactful as I would like to be if I have to play inside of these rules. So I'm just going to go over here and I have to give uh, my kids lots and lots of credit for this, right? Because um, they're all huge game players. They will try any board game at least once, twice, if another friend has told them that it's a good game. And they flex, right? They just flow from game to game to game to game to game to game to game. So they change the rules all the time. They're aware of this. They've got no problem with the adapting quickly to different sets of rules. And I found that really fascinating as they were growing up. And then when they sort of came of age and anybody who has children in their 20s and 30s, ours are aged uh, 30 to 37, they have got no problem putting you in your place. <laughs> this is what you are doing wrong. <laughs> now I am old enough and strong enough to tell you, you know, to call you out on this. So my kids do, and uh, I'm really lucky about that, right? I'm really, really lucky for that. But as a result, then what it's caused me to do is to approach everything with curiosity. And when you approach things with curiosity, the first thing you figure out is that door is closed. Why is that door closed? How come I can't go in that door? How come they can go in the door, but I can't? So then you go, fine, I don't need to go in that door. I'm just gonna go over here and build my own house. And I'm gonna make sure that that house has an open door. So, because I don't want other people to feel the way that I felt right so the only way to create that house and make sure that that house is stable and warm and comfortable is to make sure that everybody who might live in that house whether they live there for a meal and sink into the chair for three hours after the meal just talking and talking and talking or whether they need to live there because they're in transition or whether they live there all the time because they are the caregivers the people who need to live in that house need to be consulted when that house is built so every kind of project, I don't care whether it's a theater production or it's urban planning or it's some sort of big, huge uh, exhibition, you've got to make sure that all of the people who are going to experience it are present when you design it. And you really have to think about your lens, right? So an example would be, it's almost impossible not completely, but almost impossible for a man to understand what it's like to be eight months pregnant and you can't see your feet. <laughs> and how frustrating it is because you suddenly can't tie your own shoes. It, it's very hard for them to understand that this simple act of turning to get a can of soup is now a, a 30 to 40 pound heavier act, right? That's an example, it's really simplistic, but it is an example of, it's not that we don't have amazing men, we do. We have amazing men who are very strong feminists. I'm very proud to say I'm the parent of a number of these young men, but that doesn't mean that they completely understand it in their body in an embodied kind of way. And there's different levels of understanding. So I depend on groups who can tell me what something feels like from their own embodied experience. I can think that I know what their life is like, but that doesn't mean that I've lived it. And that doesn't mean I felt it in my muscles and felt it in ripple on my skin and felt it 
you know, give me the little, uh, you know, hairs on the back of my neck. Those feelings are really important to pay attention to. It's this magical combination of gut, instinct, passion, and that's a, that's a, a mix that cannot be replicated. So we have to listen to each and every person. Yeah, I, and I, I think what that does is it we, we, we humanize people whose stories we know and understand mm -hmm. and that we feel, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we all yeah. need more the ability to humanize um, yeah. others, mm -hmm. right? Oh, Sh Sharon, where, where are you going with this? <laughs> yeah, you are an incredible storyteller. Um, so don't, don't ever think that you're not amazing um, at it and other things. Um, you mentioned uh, um, the, everything that goes into, or what you think should go into uh, creating a story um, uh, with the data. And, um, and I, I know for the, the folks that are listening, they don't really know uh, one very important aspect of, <clears throat> of uh, impact arts um, and uh, your passion, and that is the braid that has been formed between Impact Arts Co-op, um, Powerhouse Impact Media Group, and Diva Training and Staffing Solutions, or Creative Collaboration, which is um, my company. And so I'm just wondering, um, because that is weaving in, in, in one of its finest forms, um, and I'm wondering if you can speak to uh, why you feel so strongly that this is important for you and, and what uh, do you see being um, the biggest outcome of this, this braid? And maybe uh, we can talk a little bit about what um, the um, power, well, no, let's just go there and see what, what comes. Okay. Um, and then, then I want to hear Shara's uh, thoughts on these two as well as yours. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I get a chance to talk to you a little bit more frequently. The, I think that we all have seasons in our life. And I think that inherently we recognize it. Some of us speak to it. We embrace it. We understand it. But I have lived the season of being a child. And I have lived the season of being a mother and now I am approaching the third season of my life. My birthday is this coming Monday. And on my brain, on my mind a lot is, what does this mean? How can I live this next chapter in a way that I'm truly, truly fulfilling? Uh, so I, I think I mentioned that I am Jewish. And so we uh, have a Hebrew word, it means tikkun olam, it means to make the world a better place. So now as I approach this next season, I'm trying to think about, all right, well, in many cultures, this is the season of the elder. In many cultures, this is the moment when the matriarch steps up. This is the, this is an important, valuable role in our society. And it's often marginalized. And like I can remember the moment I went into a bar and sat down at the bar and realized that the men in the bar just like glanced right past me, like I didn't even exist, right? Because they, you know, and I was like, oh, so that's what it feels like to get older, huh? <laughs> you become invisible in culture in lots and lots of ways. 
And that's, uh, that's a new thing, this new, uh, you know, fetishizing youth and, and fetishizing innocence and naivety. It's the aging, the becoming the elder, becoming the matriarch. It's a privilege. It's an extraordinary privilege because you're able to turn everything that was negative or questionable or scary or dark you're able to like really look in all of those dark places and figure out some thoughts, some feelings, some answers, some more questions. And then you're able to share that wisdom with the young. Maybe they'll listen, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll listen after I'm long gone. Who knows? <laughs> like I love biographies. So I tend to really focus in on what Eleanor Roosevelt did for an example. And these are, these are our stories. This is our moment now in this season. So braiding with Powerhouse and braiding with creative collaboration and your specific theater project is what I see as the smartest, most efficient, most loving way to truly become the matriarch that I believe I am destined to be. And I don't believe that I am destined to be the one who's in front. I, uh, my word for this year, we've talked about this, my leadership word for this year is sap. I believe that my role is to be the sap inside of the matriarchal tree. And that it's your job <laughs> to be <laughs> the fullest, roundest tree. And year after year after year, we will build rings and year after year after year, we will become stronger and we will nurture the mycelium network beneath the soil and we will shelter those who need shelter underneath our branches. And I believe genuinely that you are organizations and people that I, I want to walk that walk with. And of course, a lot of that's just down to trust, right? And, um, lifting it upstairs that somebody's you know <laughs> looking out uh certainly uh, for me and i think for all of us because we all have such unique specific gifts and braiding them together creates something really extraordinary thank you for that maya and i, I just have to say that i think um the braiding braiding is uh, braiding for impact is something that um you're one of the first people i think we we met that and we didn't have to explain that concept to you. You came to us knowing that and understanding it. And so maybe that's why we all get along so well. But um, that, that, that is beautiful that you, um, uh, what, you just, um, how, what you just demonstrated. And um, I um, just want to thank you. And I think I'll just pass it to Tina. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, you know what? I just want, I concur. I remember first meeting you, Maya, and um, it was like walking into, like walking into a cloud of possibility that just got bigger than my own cloud of possibility. And then I was like, what was that? Like somebody just, just took my brain and went poof, even bigger. And it's exactly what you said, Sharon. It's like you, there was no explanation needed. There was no like, well, this is what weaving in. This is what braiding is. You're like, you're already there. In fact, you weren't just already there. You were taking me eight steps further than I, than I had language in my body for. So because I, and I, that's kind of where I, 
I'm not going to go here because that's all of the conversation. I want to pass to Char, but I want to just name that if if anyone's listening and they're not getting it, it's it's not that you don't get it in your body. Likely, it's that there isn't a narrative in your head to make sense. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is Gather for Her. We are a co-created conversation. We meet every two weeks here on LinkedIn, here on Facebook, and we have co-created conversations, emergent conversations with change makers who are contributing to the world that we are co-creating together. Uh, this is Powerhouse Impact Media Group. You're talking to The Braid and to Maya Olmsted from Impact Arts Co-op. And I'm going to toss over to Shar, the founder of Powerhouse Impact Media Group, because um, it's like you are two birth mothers of, of beautiful work. And I would just love to hear uh, what's on your heart in this moment, Shar. Well, it's a very exciting conversation and a very exciting time. So I'll hi highlight a few key nuggets that really came through for me. Um, the first is a very clear what. What are we talking about right now? Um, we are talking about the power of data-backed storytelling through an Indigenous lens. That's what we're mm -hmm. talking about. What might be possible what might be possible in our decision-making moving forward? What might be possible with um, where our attention and intention goes if we put more focus around shifting the narrative? And that narrative was actually backed by data that is very helpful for decision-making. I want to touch on just, a, 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 just for a moment around why now. So that's the what data-backed storytelling to shift the narrative. And what if those stories were told through an Indigenous lens? Um, I believe that why now is important because it has, um, we're being called in 2021 and 2022 to um, remember our past more than ever before, to bring our ancestors. It, so I'm not here as Charlene Sinjenko. I am actually here with all of my ancestors, as are all of you. And who are they asking us to remember that we are? And not just remember, but feel, embody mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. an experience that can only be achieved when all of our senses come alive far beyond what, where words will ever take us. The embodied change-making that is needed now is palpable. What I loved with that's the past into the present is exactly what Christina said. Stories unite us. Stories mm -hmm. help us mm -hmm. to humanize mm -hmm. each other. They are the connective tissue. Part of the reason we gather every week is to just understand our stories of who we are and why we're here and help build a, a bigger grid of united humans and then finally we also touched on the future and what is possible what's the legacy we're leaving for the future whether they want to to consider that story and leave that story but this is the story of us and like christina said there's amazing change makers doing gobsmacking awesome work mm -hmm. and no one knows about them beyond the, their walls and their board and their stakeholders or artists who are doing drop dead amazing work and mm -hmm. 
it goes back, you know, 20 years ago when I looked at a magazine cover with far too much Botox and far too much, you know, um, yeah. And I looked at it and I said, who the hell are we celebrating? Who are we celebrating here? And that's why we're doing what we're doing because it's time to celebrate those who can lift us up. And I'm mm -hmm. so proud to walk beside you, Maya. I don't know where that takes you for some final thoughts, but I'm just so proud of what we're up to in the world and where I'm excited to see where it goes next. Yeah, I am too. There's no, no question about it. And I think that um, in business, just like in life, we, are influenced by the five people that we spend the most time with. This is just a fact of life. So when we choose to surround ourselves with people who lift us up, who fill our cups, who nurture us, but who also allow us to nurture them, it has to be reciprocal, right? We need to have healthy boundaries. We need to have ebb and flow and we need to exchange leadership and following back and forth in this beautiful rhythm, right? Sometimes we're riding the wave and sometimes we're in the toe. <laughs> it, it just, it is what it is. And um, you asked me uh, when I was coming on to uh, talk about rituals, things that I do to keep myself calm when I can tell that the toe is coming. And I, um, I have to tell you that I, I am a star therapist. I love star therapy. <laughs> that is just laying on the ground and looking up at the stars. And if it's too cold, then I sit on a bench and I just look at the stars because the stars are the things that remind me that what I'm looking at doesn't even exist anymore. And lots of those little pinpricks of light, they're not even there anymore. And yet I am feeling loved. I am feeling part of the cosmos. I am feeling connected to everything around me. And I am feeling the reality of my own humility. I'm just one tiny little speck in the world. And it isn't even a matter of just focusing on, this is the thing that I can change, I can't change other people. It's even, it's even more around, I'm not even sure sometimes if I can change myself. <laughs> for an example right it's just like i work on it every day but i can lie in the grass i can sit in my winter coat on a bench and i can look up at the sky and i can just realize this this doesn't matter this thing that i'm so agitated about this doesn't matter right will this make a difference five years from now will this make a difference 10 years from now and if it doesn't then i need to just let it go and if it does, then I need to figure out, okay, what is it that I need to do? Who do I need to call for my lifeline? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, I think that's where we are. And I think that what's happening here in the leader path is that that's what we're doing. We're surrounding ourselves with the people who live us up, lift us up so that we can become the best that we were in, that we want to be the best in our communities, in our families, the the best in ourselves. And when I say best, I don't mean like that competitive, you're best and somebody else is not best. I mean, potential. We have reached the potential that we are, that we already have inside of us. 
we can be our best selves, literally be our best selves. You, one of the things that I hope that we talk about next week in our in our wisdom um, circle is what is it? Because because my your your words about star therapy, it's like hmm, what star therapy? And then I was like, oh, what is the place? And 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 what I want everybody to think about um, is what is that place that does that for you? What Maya just described that place of humility and bliss and connection and love where you're just like i am so small and i am connected to everything thank you i've gotten as much out of this conversation as i hope i've shared and thank you i really appreciate that as always we are so grateful for your deep listening with us we want you to know that there is a community here that you may not know about yet we gather virtually every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for these live conversations, and we call it Gather for Her. This is the place where we begin to weave our individuality together to remove silos and place our hands at each other's backs for activated, intentional action towards a world we all want for 2030, where we prepare for a better world. When you're ready, we're here. Find us at powerhouse.com and get social with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If it feels right, you can support this inspired wisdom through Patreon at patreon.com powerhouse. Until next time, keep listening and know we're always here, ready to gather with you.